I didn't drink caffeine or coffee for 340 354 days. So this is a year, basically. Uh, I have still 10 days to go, 11 days or 12 days, depending on the year. Now, why? Why would you do such a thing? And what are the results? What are the results of fasting on caffeine? So, first of all, what is actually caffeine? This is the first topic we want to discuss. The next topic is what influence or effect does it have on you and your brain and on your focus and things like this. The next thing is what effects, what negative effects does it have and why you should maybe try to avoid caffeine. And then again in the beginning, because I will begin with this probably, uh, history. So basically this is the first point, a history of me and my caffeine consumption. And let's begin with this point. So I avoided caffeine for quite some time. Actually, till I was about 15 or 16, I didn't drink caffeine at all. I did drink things like Coke. And also there are other varieties of Coke where there is caffeine in this. And also chocolate, for example, has caffeine in there. And also if you drink tea, and the tea has something called teaine, which is basically chemically the same as caffeine. And therefore... It also would count as caffeine. So I count the chemical substance of caffeine as caffeine. So therefore, teen would also be a substance. Apart from these exceptions, I didn't... So I, basically what I'm saying is I didn't drink coffee until I was about 15 or 16. Then I drank the first cup and I was kind of hooked on the taste. Apart from me... Um, not really liking the bitterness, therefore amping up the sugar and also other sweetness in the, in the following years. So, why did I avoid caffeine so early in my childhood? Not really early in my childhood. I mean, it's kind of common sense that you shouldn't drink coffee when you are a teenager or even a child. Because, well, there are many factors that actually, or there are many effects caffeine has. And usually, you don't want to have these effects tinker with uh, you when you are in your growing phase and when you, your brain, for example, is also in the phase where it is still developing. So therefore, as I was already a teenager then, after I didn't think about caffeine consumption much because it was just nothing I did think about, um, I did begin to read books on these topics. So I don't know exactly in which age it began, but probably around 12, 13, 14, 15, I began to not really dive in deep to coffee, but whatever I read basically confirmed my consumption, not confirmed my consumption, but confirmed my presumption that caffeine intake was not something that was good for the growth and since I did struggle quite a little bit on if, with being a little bit smaller, at least, so not smaller, but a little bit less taller in height, it is called smaller, I guess. Therefore, I didn't want to tinker with caffeine and growth. So already in my teenage years, I read studies where there were, I didn't read the studies themselves. Of course, I didn't read the studies themselves. I just read uh, references to these studies. So basically what the conclusion was that, so there was the study done on pregnant women where pregnant women actually drank either coffee or didn't drink coffee. And it seemed to have an effect on the, on the growth and also then on the size of the baby later on. So 
and the effect was negative. Therefore, I don't know the exact percentage number, but it seemed to have an effect. And therefore, if this effect was already proven with basically not born babies, it at least seemed to have some effect on the growth or just in general on the growth of specifically the human species. And therefore, I also wanted to appoint uh, drinking coffee. Then I tasted coffee for the first time, but I didn't really get hooked on coffee. I did like the coffee itself, and this was, but I still try to avoid the caffeine. Therefore, I just drank caffeinated, decaf, basically decaffeinated coffee. And therefore, I mean, decaffeinated coffee still has about 3 to 10% of the normal caffeine, but nevertheless, it is way less. Therefore, I didn't even drink decaf because I already knew this situation with decaffeinated coffee. But what I often did was to use these different variants. So, for example, you can make kind of coffee from actual grains and things like these. So there are alternatives to coffee that taste a little bit similar to coffee. And this is what I drank for quite some years whenever I wanted to treat myself, I guess. So now... Then we are entering my final years of high school, you could say. Uh, it's not exactly high school, because in Germany it's something different. It's basically the, the proper English word for it is grammar school. And in Germany it's called Gymnasium, which in English, again, doesn't make sense because it's just a gym. But nevertheless, so when I basically was finishing high school, I saw all these people around me that experimented with coffee or drank coffee on a regular basis also before exams. Therefore, I wanted to try the, basically the positive effects of caffeine consumption and I wanted to use this effect in order to be better, not really be, be better prepared, but I wanted to use this effect to perform better at certain exams. So this is when I basically began to drink coffee shortly before exams. In all the other periods of my life, I didn't drink coffee because I also already heard about the fact of being overstimulated with caffeine and then not the caffeine itself or the positive effects of caffeine not working that good anymore. This is when I began basically seriously drinking caffeine. So therefore, I first drank coffee in front of a few exams. And here is the effect it had. In the exams, I felt very alert. And this is already one of the first effects a coffee has. And this is where we already get into the second point, the positive effects of caffeine. So how caffeine actually works. So because the, the reason this whole caffeine topic came up actually in my brain again, in my in my stream of consciousness is because I'm currently listening to a book called Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker again. And in this book, he describes basically the negative effects of caffeine. Of course, there are also positive effects of caffeine. And since so many people are kind of addicted to caffeine as a stimulating drug, and also because there is kind of science or data about the positive and negative effects of caffeine, it is a long debate or has been a long debate whether the positive or the negative effects of caffeine actually win in the end. So therefore, in order for you to now get into the effects of caffeine, I want to quote a few lines out of this book I have currently in front of me. 
Caffeine works by successfully battling with adenosine for the privilege of latching onto adenosine welcome sites or receptors in the brain. Once caffeine occupies these receptors, however, it does not stimulate them like adenosine, making you sleepy. Rather, caffeine blocks and effectively inactivates the receptors, acting as a masking agent. It's the equivalent of sticking your fingers in your ears to shut out a sound. By hijacking and occupying these receptors, caffeine blocks the sleepiness signal normally communicated to the brain, adenosine. The upshot, caffeine tricks you into feeling alert and awake, despite the high levels of adenosine that would otherwise seduce you into sleep. So when it comes to sleep, there are two main factors that contribute to when you actually sleep. The first one is the thing we just heard about. It's called adenosine. And we have adenosine in our bloodstream. And the more time we are awake, the more adenosine accumulates. And then we have the adenosine receptors. And whenever adenosine is in the bloodstream, and then it binds to these adenosine receptors, basically, this makes us sleepy. The other big thing is the circadian rhythm. That's actually a rhythm that's based on the revolution of the earth around the sun and what this causes in terms of daylight. Basically, it's the day and night rhythm, the circadian rhythm, that's also causing us to sleep at certain times of the day and to get sleepy at certain times of the day. These two things are actually completely independent. This is the reason why when you actually pull an all-nighter, you, after a certain amount of time and night has passed and the daylight begins to hit you again, you actually become more alert again. Even though the adenosine in your blood stream is still accumulating and accumulating, but the other one basically overrides this adenosine buildup. So now, when it comes to coffee, the positive effect, and also, you could also say the negative effect, I mean, this is just an effect. It's At first, it's neutral. And what it does is, as we just read, as you just heard, is that it blocks the adenosine receptors because caffeine is built very similar to adenosine and therefore it is able to block these receptors basically these are proteins and i'm not entirely sure if these are proteins but probably so we have a receptor that's formed maybe like this let's just say like this it's basically um, well if we have anything so we have for example something that looks like an l and then we can actually dock it into something like this so this would be a, a successful a successful do docking operation operation and caffeine in 3d the protein or the structure of the molecule probably looks pretty similar to adenosine and therefore it is able to block these receptors so now we basically can counteract one of the main disadvantages of being awake for a long time, the adenosine buildup, by getting caffeine into our system and therefore being more alert. The negative effect obviously is that we block a function of our body. The f body, the function, I mean, it's not for nothing that we become sleepy after a certain amount of time because sleep has many different functions i mean there is no primary function of sleep and this is something that is still discussed in the scientific community what what the primary function of sleep actually is there are different aspects to why sleep actually exists and there are different theories out there um it would make sense to discuss these theories because caffeine is mainly a drug that inhibits 
basically becoming sleepy by blocking the adenosine receptors. This is basically the main function caffeine has. Of course, there are also other side effects and not really side effects, other effects adenosine, not adenosine, but caffeine actually has onto our system in short term or in long term. For example, it's also a diuretic. For example, if you go onto a photo shooting and <laughs> a photo shoot and you have a lot of water in your skin or if you for example are a fitness model or any model it doesn't really matter it would make sense to get the water the subcutaneous water that is hidden basically under your skin to get it out of your system as good as you possibly can and therefore you could use also caffeine as a diuretic or coffee as a diuretic basically something that flushes out the water that's subcutaneous subcutaneously stored in your under your skin so now we have this aspect. Now let's touch onto another aspect. And then we begin, or not begin, but we continue in the story of myself again with the success or not success in these exams. So the second big aspect, um, it's not a big aspect, it's just an effect caffeine has or just a property of caffeine. The property of caffeine is this. Caffeine if it if you if it enters your body it has a certain amount of time there a certain amount of time passes until you hit basically the peak caffeine where the caffeine is the most active and then it becomes less active as your body begins to basically um deconstruct the caffeine the caffeine molecules again and therefore the effect of caffeine begins to lessen again so the certain point we now want to discuss is the half-life of caffeine. And therefore, I want to, again, quote something out of Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. Levels of circulating caffeine peak approximately 30 minutes after oral administration. What is problematic, though, is the persistence of caffeine in your system. In pharmacology, we use the term half-life when discussing a drug's efficiency efficacy. This simply refers to the length of time it takes for the body to remove 50% of a drug's concentration. You probably know the term half-life also when it comes to radioactive, radioactive substances because that's basically the same term. Caffeine has an average half-life of 5 to 7 hours. Let's say that you have a cup of coffee after your evening dinner around 7.30 p.m. This means that by 1.30 a.m. 50% of that caffeine may still be active and circulating throughout your brain tissue. In other words, by 1.30 a.m. you're only halfway to completing the job of cleansing your brain of the caffeine you drank after dinner. And this is something we have to keep in mind. Most people are at sleep at 1.30 a.m. Most people, excluding the people that work night shifts regularly most people are asleep at 1 30 a.m also due to the circadian rhythm and because def it therefore just makes sense to schedule your sleep time around the time where the circadian rhythm also wants you to be sleeping so now the half-life of caffeine is now something we have to keep in mind five to seven hours let's just take the average and let's say six hours this means if you i mean we can just take the example Matthew Walker said here or stated here again 7:30 p.m. you drink a cup of coffee and by 1:30 a.m. 50% is still remaining and 50% is still 50%. If we then take another 6 hours so by 7:30 a.m. so basically 12 hours after the fact there is still 25% left then 6 hours after this again would be at 
at 1.30 p.m. again. I still had to, I had to think about it because I'm with p.m. and a.m. I'm not so fluent because I'm using not the system normally. So therefore, at 1.30 p.m. again, you still have 12.5% of the original caffeine. This means 24 hours later, you still have half of 12.5%, which is 6.25% still in your bloodstream. So this means after 24 hours of inserting the caffeine into your bloodstream or into your body, you still have around 6% left in your body. And this means it's basically 6%. I mean, 6% is not very huge, but it's also not entirely gone. This means if you drink a cup of coffee every single day, there is never a point in your day where the caffeine is just gone. This means your body has never the ability to use the adenosine system or the adenosine molecules in the system itself, so the receptors and also the workings of these, really as they are supposed to do, as they are supposed to work. This means you're basically, whenever you're sleeping, you're never fully asleep. Because the caffeine, because the caffeine in your bloodstream prevents you from entering deeper sleep states. And this is also the next point now. So this again is out of um, out of Matthew's, Matthew Walker's book, Why We Sleep. And it basically states therein, or it in the book, Matthew Walker states that there is also another effect. The caffeine has on your sleep. So when you think about sleeping, you just think about this one period where you are asleep. But as a matter of fact, this is not really true, obviously, because this is just a simplification. So there is the time when you are in bed. The time where you are in bed is not equivalent to the time you are asleep. So therefore, the sleep efficacy is usually the amount of time you sleep during the amount of time you give yourself to sleep. So if you spend eight hours in bed, usually you probably sleep in somewhere between seven to eight hours of the time because you don't fall asleep instantly and you also don't wake up instantly. I mean, the waking up probably is more instantly than the sleeping or the falling asleep part, but that's basically just the sleep efficacy number. When you now enter sleep, there are also different states of sleep. There is a REM sleep, which is I mean, all the different states of sleep, all the different phases of sleep have dif- have different functions. <laughs> I'm struggling with the pronunciation of English because I haven't spoken English in a while. Nevertheless, I will try to continue. So, the REM phase is the rapid eye movement phase. So, scientists discovered quite a while ago that in this stage of sleep, the eyes move very rapidly. I mean, I cannot really rapidly move my eyes now, but the eyes move very rapidly, even though the eyelid is closed. And this is something that seems to be very strange, but nevertheless, it occurs. And if you think about dream and sleep, dream uh, happens only in these REM phases. There are also different stages of REM sleep, but for simplification, we just use REM as the sleep phase now. So what happens in the REM sleep stages is very, very important to you and also to the human species in general. So it seems to be that humans have evolved, or this is just a theory, also by Matthew Walker, but it's just in my head because I listened to this the last days. Therefore, here is the maybe one of the main distinctions between other primates and human primates or humans. Other primates often sleep on trees. The problem is that the body and some part of the brain constantly has to balance 
not falling off of the tree. So it has to balance the weight of the body or the weight distribution of the body. And humans now, because probably, so Homo erectus was one of the first to discover fire, at least, that's a theory. And because they had fire now, they could basically keep these other predators away at night. This allowed them to sleep on the ground and this allowed probably the human brain to develop a better sleep than most other animals on this planet. And this better sleep is probably or maybe one of the main things that is responsible for our probably for our better thinking ability, for our ability to just have, I mean, compared to other animals, we are in terms of thinking pretty superior not really pretty superior for example there have been monkeys that have measured an IQ IQ, so intelligence quotient of around 90 for example this is just an example that was in my head there's also this is actually about a monkey so this example is about a monkey that learned to speak sign language because somebody told them to not really told them but taught them to and they could actually communicate very easy things and there's actually, if you just Google this, uh, I don't know the name of the monkey, but you can Google it. And basically, this ape, whether trained or not, had a, basically a last message to humans on this planet. And this, I mean, this is really off topic now, but this message, message is kind of very scary because it's like... Um, of course, sign language, because I cannot do sign language, but the message is somewhat around... People make the planet or hurt the planet, please stop, and something along these lines. And it's very interesting. Of course, it could be totally trained, but it also could be just a monkey. Of course, I mean, these are not like extremes, and probably it's somewhere in between. But nevertheless, a monkey that actually speaks to us in sign language is something, and then also translated in normal language, is something that's very interesting, I think. So now, coming back to, coming back to the REM sleep stages... It seems to be that in the REM sleep, many different, in the REM sleep stage, many different things that are responsible for us being on another level, kind of, compared to the primates, seem to occur. Like, basically think of the cleanup function you find on computers. So basically you can format your hard drive. And this basically means that all the different things that are stored on your hard drive become formatted. So it's not called formatting your hard drive but some something else i cannot think of the proper word right now but it basically means that all the different things that are stored in different places now are stored in the places basically in the places where they are where they make sense if you for example store an english word here for example there's a latin word that spells like this and you spell it very near to the latin word and then you have another english word which is stored like here what this process does it actually basically improves the performance of the brain by bringing all the similar things closer to each other and therefore improving network stability but also just in general the network's performance if you think of the brain it's basically a connection of it's basically one giant three-dimensional connection space you could say you could also say network that connects that has many different cells in it these cells are called neurons and these cells are connected with axons and dendrites and these dendrites and axons are basically the connections and they can be the connections can be better or worse and they can be longer and shorter and 
all these different axons, not axons, but neurons can be connected to many different other neurons. And this is basically how we think. Every thought you think of as a thought is basically uh, electrical current in one and many of these networks and basically a current fluctuation of current in all of these different in this network of neurons, axons and dendrites. So now, coming back to caffeine and how this all influences this whole thing. REM sleep is basically one of the, probably, or just our sleep in general as humans, is one of the main things, or it seems, it at least seems to correlate with all these different brain functions we have when we are awake. Of course, there are also people out there who say, people, for example, like Sam Harris state that there probably is no free will at all. And... Therefore, the stream of consciousness we experience when awake is basically just an illusion because we just think we are conscious and make decisions, but, but we, I mean, the consciousness is a different part, but let's not get too deep into, into brain science here because that's, that was not something I wanted to discuss, but nevertheless, I wanted to discuss caffeine. Nevertheless, and I know I just said nevertheless, nevertheless, I wanted to say it again. Caffeine disrupts this REM sleep and very heavily. So there have been experiments also by Matthew Walker and also he references other studies and experiments where you disrupt somebody. So basically there are students that had to learn, for example, 100 facts about something and then you let the one, so the one group, you let them sleep normally for the next two days and the other group doesn't sleep very well for the first night. And of course it varies what experimental group goes under but nevertheless after two days the memory of the ones that just slept normal is just way better than the ones that didn't sleep normal so basically the the storage the actual storage and also the moving from the short-term storage to the long-term storage of course this is an oversimplification but this happens all when we sleep and now think of you Throughout your lifetime, at age 18 or 16 or 15, you begin to drink coffee. And every single night, you have at least 6% of the one cup of coffee you drank in your bloodstream. And the 6% is only after 24 hours. Probably the number is even higher. So therefore, you have a certain amount of caffeine based on the percentage of the, of the absolute amount of caffeine you drink on an average day, obviously. And of all the other half-lived caffeine cups before this, you have an average of 5 to 10% of a normal cup of coffee or maybe even more. I mean, there are people that drink up to 5 cups of coffee or maybe even 10 cups of coffee a day. A normal cup of coffee has around 18 milligrams of caffeine. This depends on which type of coffee this is. But think of this caffeine throughout your lifetime from the moment you begin to drink coffee. And maybe you don't drink coffee every single day. Nevertheless, Every single time you drink coffee, this disrupts your sleep. And this sleep is one of the main functions your body has to basically ensure that the next day you are less moody. Because people who are sleep deprived, for example, if you don't give them, if you only give them five hours, for example, they become less reactive. So basically, there also have been studies where people had to react to things appearing on a screen very fast. And what happens after a certain amount of time of sleep deprivation is that you just have these small instances where it's basically called microsleep, where you are asleep for one or two seconds. That's basically the brain um, 
helping itself by making you sleep, by forcing you to sleep. And this is also what's not the microsleep itself. The microsleep is also responsible for many accidents, but the general sleep deprivation that leads to a slower, slower reaction times is also responsible for many accidents on the road worldwide. So now, think of yourself with 5 to 10% or 15% of a cup of coffee, of the caffeine, of a cup of coffee throughout your lifetime and how this probably will hurt your overall life experience because you won't be able to think a sharp. Think of, I don't know how, what the correlation between these different things is. For example, measuring your IQ at different points in time when you are sleep deprived because basically if you drink coffee every single day, you accept that you will be sleep deprived for the rest of your life or for the rest of your coffee drinking phase and this is something you have i think to think about of course i didn't develop these thoughts as developed as they actually are right now and also i'm reading the book therefore this is in my stream of consciousness or in my mind because it's basically in the short-term memory i can speak about it very eloquently and cite different things but just think about the effect on sleep caffeine has this is one effect. And now, in order to understand the, the other effects, I will actually dive into my personal story again. So, I used caffeine before exams. And in these exams, I performed compared to the baseline. I do not really have a baseline because every exam is different. But I felt very alert. And I also felt in the exam that with more time, I could just do more. Whereas sometimes before, I mean, this is just a general thing I had going for me that with more time, I could always do more because you just look at all these different things again and again and again until you run out of time. It's basically using the time most efficiently. But nevertheless, I experienced in this one particular exam where I first tried using caffeine before that I was very alert the result was not very nice but nevertheless I also struggled in this in the subject for quite some time at this point in time so therefore the result was kind of nice I guess I also knew that I could have done more I with more time I could have done more this is also something that was I don't know exactly so there is this effect of caffeine where you become kind of hyperactive um, and for me uh, basically non-caffeine drinker apart from uh, coca-cola and other things with caffeine and chocolate in it I basically was very sensitive to the effects of caffeine at this point in time because I had basically avoided it throughout my entire life apart from very few instances instances and now the effect of caffeine basically hit me full force and I basically drank one cup of coffee of coffee at this before this exam and also during the exam. I don't really know anymore. And then I experimented with this in front of other exams as well. I initially was kind of um, my initial impression was that the negative effects of caffeine had actually dominated the positive effects of caffeine because I was so hyperactive um, maybe I could have done better without but that's probably just an illusion because you are so alert and you know that you can do all these things and then you just become hyperactive more or more hyperactive without it I would probably have written a worse, a worse grade I would have gotten a worse grade and yeah never and and 
and wouldn't even have been able to touch the basically the possibilities with caffeine. So therefore, I think this was just a kind of illusion. Therefore, in retrospective, I also think that this was uh, an experimentation I had to do in order to decide for myself whether the effects of caffeine are actually something that I should include into my life and therefore somehow include caffeine intake into my life. Now, we go a few years forward in time and this pre-exam coffee, coffee still was something that I did. And I also, whenever I did this pre-exam coffee, and I didn't use caffeine in the learning phase, but what I often got is the effect, because I was so sensitive to caffeine still, because I avoided it for the rest of everything, basically, and only took these, these very calculated doses of caffeine, so basically one cup of coffee before an exam. But there was one time when I couldn't get a coffee. And in this one particular time, I also would have needed a coffee. And this is when it becomes a problem. And also because I already then knew that the coffee had such an effect, I began to drink coffee in the build-ups to exams. So one or two days before, in the final stages of learning, I began to drink coffee. And the problem is then that you cannot really sleep. And if you don't really sleep, the memory consolidation that actually happens so basically, actually storing the things that you learned becomes less effective or it's just entirely gone. It's of course not entirely gone, but it's just less effective. It works less. And this then leads to you not remembering as many things in the exams, even if you then drink coffee. And also, the more coffee you drink, the less coffee-sensitive or caffeine-sensitive you are. And therefore, I decided finally... Not really, finally. But after this period, this is when I first decided to quit caffeine altogether. And this was actually... So actually, let's go into the stati statistics because I tracked my caffeine intake over all of these years. Not really precisely, but sometimes these are just approximations to the, the real thing. So I basically quit caffeine altogether after having this this period where I did it before exams and also then sometimes for learning and then sometimes even for normal days I drank caffeine. There was a period where I basically drank then... So I introduced it more and more into my life. And this is also when I began really to be become really hyperactive when being on caffeine. I had this period in my life where I stood up at 4 a.m. in the morning for quite some time and also 5 a.m. So there were different variations of this pattern. But I then would drink a coffee in the morning. And even though I drank a coffee in the morning, usually an espresso, I would still fall asleep a, a few hours later. So there was a, like a short power nap that usually happened at shortly before 8 a.m. And I experienced again and again and again that I fell asleep during this period, even though a lot of caffeine was in my blood. And so therefore, this was basically the first iteration, drinking a coffee in the morning. Then I added a coffee at lunch also. And why did I add it in the morning and at lunch? Because if you drink it at night, the effects of caffeine on your sleep are maximized. The negative effects are maximized. Therefore, the more you go into the earlier parts of the day, the less the effects of sleeping or the less the effects of the negative effects of caffeine on your sleeping actually are. So therefore I did it in the morning and also in at lunch. 
Retrospectively, it turns out that in the morning you should try to avoid caffeine for at least one or two hours because in the morning there is actually and now my voice becomes sore, as you just might hear. In the morning, actually, what happens is that there is a cortisol spike. So basically, the stress hormone in your body naturally spikes at a certain time after you went up, after you woke up and then also went up. And this also correlates with how much light you take in in the early hours of the day and how bright it actually is when you stand up and things like these. Nevertheless, there is a natural cortisol spike and you actually want to experience this natural cortisol spike before you drink anything with caffeine in it. So there was this period when I basically, this what caffeine also allowed me to do because I was so caffeine sensitive still at this point in time is that I had very, very productive days, very, very productive periods where I sometimes had periods where I basically would work or study up to 18 hours a day. And this, of course, is not something that is really applicable for long term. Nevertheless, for the short term, it was very, very useful because I also knew that I could do these things. I didn't really pull all-nighters, though, with caffeine and also probably I only pulled a total of probably 10 to 20 all-nighters throughout my lifetime until now. And the reason is because an all-nighter is basically one of the worst things you can do in terms of sleep. And because I read this book already a few years ago, and I also read different or listened to different things on this topic, I try to avoid it, something like this, as much as caffeine later on. So then in early 2020, I decided to quit caffeine altogether because the negative effects and also the dependence on caffeine just accumulated more and more. I was basically not really addicted, but I was very much used to the effect of caffeine. And I also realized that the more, I mean, it's just a natural adaption process. The more caffeine you actually do, the less you are actually caffeine sensitive and the less the coffee actually works. So therefore, the more caffeine you do, the less it actually works. So in early 2020, I then began to fast on caffeine for the first proper period in my life, apart from the periods before where I only occasionally drank. But after this very intensive phase of caffeine intake, I basically did so I began fasting caffeine on the 28th of February in 2020. Within, I had a few exceptions. And then and in the middle of August, I began to intake caffeine again. And then I basically either didn't track. So basically, I also can show you. This is basically my caffeine tracking thing. And I have a total of 6,386 days. I also approximated the days of my childhood and my teenage years. So for example, within the first three years of my life, I probably didn't drink caffeine. So therefore, I marked them. So throughout all of the days of my life, I just approximated. And sometimes if I knew that I occasionally drank a coffee, I said that this was a period where I just once in a week or once in a month drank a coffee. Whatever approximation fits best, I would say. And therefore, I have this rather exact number or not exact number. But of course, when I tracked, when I began to track caffeine intake, it actually became more and more exact. The other periods, of course, didn't become more exact. And also, therefore, the total number becomes more exact with every single day because the other periods stay the same because they absolutely stay the same and the other periods relatively enlarge and therefore the overall number becomes more exact every single day I track caffeine intake. So this was then the first time where I basically got off caffeine again. So basically, 
I had this period. I don't know if it is mirrored or not, but I had this period, so basically half a year, around half a year, where I didn't drink caffeine altogether. And then I experimented with teaing, and also I ex- began to experiment with fasting. And what I, it's not what I realized, but I, for the first time in my life, did a five-day fast. And within this five-day fast, I needed something to basically keep my mind or keep my body away from the keto flu, which is something that happens whenever you are, not whenever, but if you if your body is not very well adapted to burning fat, what actually happens is that if you then go into a fast and also if you did high carb, high carb diet before, your body has very much difficulties to switch to the fat burning mode, which appears in ketosis or also in fasting. And therefore I needed something that kind of stabilized my mind a bit even though of course caffeine doesn't stabilize anything because it just spikes and then goes again and spikes and goes again nevertheless i in this five-day fast drank coffee or i rather made coffee ice cubes that i actually did for kind of dopamine hits instead of eating food so therefore in this phase i started to drink coffee again and then there is the period where i drank the most coffee of my life which basically ranges in between I would say one, two, three, sometimes even four cups of coffee a day. And as you already will realize when hearing this, four or five coffees, cups of coffees a day is probably already pretty much maxing out the natural limit or something that the WHO actually would recommend. So 80 milligrams of coffee on a given day is pretty much not on a given day, but 80 milligrams is pretty much the average amount of caffeine you have in a cup of coffee. Now, let's see what the WHO actually recommends coffee intake. WHO recommends coffee, caffeine. So, up to 400 milligrams of caffeine a day appears to be safe for most healthy adults. That's roughly the amount of caffeine in four cups of brewed coffee, 10 cans of cola, or two energy shot drinks. You already see that energy drinks are something you maybe should avoid too. So therefore, uh, of course, this number varies a bit. Someone who only weighs 50 kilograms and some compared to someone who weighs 100 kilograms, of course, there's a difference in in adenosine receptors and also a difference in the ability to actually deconstruct the caffeine molecules in your body. Therefore, of course, this varies a bit. My number was around 420, maybe even higher, but this actually resulted in me, and sorry for the for the thing before, this resulted in me uh, being able to drink up to five cups of coffees a day. There are also different variations of coffee, but I just said the average amount. So basically an espresso, for example, is something that is very caffeine dense and also it depends on which um, beans, coffee beans you actually take. So there is a, is a, there are Arabica beans and there are also other beans, which I don't know the name of. And the caffeine density in these beans actually varies a bit. So therefore, of course, take it with a grain of salt because, yeah, well, I actually calculated the, the different uh, things, the different caffeine amounts in these different coffee cups. And But in the end, I just used, used the average number, I guess, of 80 milligrams of per cup of coffee. And in this period, what I began to realize is, for one, I wasted quite a little bit of time making the coffee for two whenever i felt that i wanted to now 
do something or had to do something, I first drink a cup of coffee instead of immediately taking action on the thing I actually wanted to do. The next thing was that, of course, the more coffee you drink, the more you become dependent on coffee. I mean, this is a result and also a negative effect of all these different things before. But another thing that appeared was, and this also appeared before or happened before, was that my heart rate began to basically become 10 to 20 beats per minute higher compared to the baseline. So my baseline in a very in times where I did quite a little bit of endurance work was usually in between 50 or let's say in between also including sleeping because I uh, have a smartwatch or had a tracker for quite some time for now was ranging in between 40 to 60 beats. My basically my calm pulse or my calm heart rate and also including the sleep where my heart rate usually was sometimes even 35 sometimes 40 so what i realized whenever i drank coffee my heart began basically just pounding and this is not something you want to really experience um, it's also not something that is uh already of course it's a negative side effect and if if you perceive this as something that is kind of daunting not really daunting but seems to be dangerous or i don't i cannot find a word right now for uh, the perception of this effect but it for sure is not a positive effect of the caffeine intake and on these days and also on these days before where i drank coffee in the morning i just realized apart from the hyperactive part that just comes with the caffeine and just becomes with really alert also the hyperactive part is something that it's not really hyperactive but it's just on the spectrum of being less hyperactive or really calm or sleeping basically i am citing not really citing but i'm using andrew huberman now who has a podcast about basically optimizing your body and brain performance and he basically he explains that one of or one spectrum of one spectrum with two values at the end or two extremes at the end of the spectrum is that you can eat very 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 calm or you can be very very alert and the more calm you are the more of course sleeping is basically the ultimate calmness and being very alert is the ultimate alertness and caffeine intake brings you shortly just more on the alertness side because of blocking the adenosine receptors so now I had the effect of the heart pounding. I also knew that I just didn't sleep very well. Of course, I accepted it because I was more productive in a time where the caffeine still worked. But after some time, I just realized that I would sleep in basically in in the morning, for example, even if I had to get to an appointment or to study or somewhere else in the middle of the day, I just would sleep in the middle of the day. And even though I didn't want to, and even though it wasn't planned, but I just slept because my body just needed it. And I would sleep basically sometimes during the day. And this was not something that is very nice because it kind of took my ability to plan my awake hours because I would just sleep whenever my body really needed sleep. And I just didn't happen to have a high dose of caffeine in my system. So... Of course, this is just an extreme case and this didn't happen every single day, but these things happened and therefore I had to reconsider my approach. I already knew I was doing the wrong thing at this point in time because I already knew also from previous. I mean, apart from the fact that up until age 25, the brain basically is not fully built in 
in humans and around age 25 it basically ends so also the neuroplasticity that is available or that is there in your brain begins to get lower values actually and apart from all of these things i knew i had to quit again and therefore i did again and this was basically a year ago after i had this time in 2020 again where i basically drank one to five cups of coffee every single day of course um over time the cups of coffee just went up because i just had to be alert and awake during the times where i actually wanted to do something when being awake and this resulted in 6th of february 2021 quitting caffeine altogether and now i didn't drink anything with tea in or coffee so also avoiding tea i don't count things like chocolate and these because and cacao because i just cannot count all these things of course i could theoretically but right now it's caffeine or tea in. it's oversimplified and i also try to and i also completely avoid i don't try to i completely avoid energy drinks and things like these so it's been almost a year and this is now basically coming to an end this video is coming to an end because it has been this one year of caffeine i think i managed to include all the different decision decision variables that i had or i felt i should include in this decision of course it's without caffeine life is less hyperactive you are sometimes less focused because you don't have something where you can actually on demand be alert but there actually are some things that you can use that you can kind of use to replace coffee of course there is not something that is very close to caffeine but another thing is also caffeine is a drug and of course there are many studies on caffeine but even though there are many studies on caffeine doesn't mean it's not a drug it's a psychoactive drug and it's one of the most common psychoactive drugs around the world actually quoting matthew walker in why we sleep again there was this there was this line where he explained coffee is one of the most yeah it's here rather caffeine is the most widely used and abused psychoactive stimulant in the world it is the second most traded commodity on the planet after oil the consumption of caffeine represents one of the longest and largest unsupervised drug studies ever conducted on the human race perhaps rivaled only by alcohol and it continues to this day i mean alcohol is a different topic entirely but effects of alcohol seem to be purely or mostly negative and also everybody knows about the negative effects of alcohol but with caffeine it's a little bit different because there are also so many positive benefits closing the chapter on caffeine now what did i do or what what do what tools do i now have or what tools did i discover to maybe create a similar a similar effect to caffeine the first and most important thing is sleep and a regular sleep schedule actually prevents you kind of prevents you from ever being or ever prevents basically or lowers the probability of the need for caffeine actually because the more you actually are awake in the times you need to be awake and or the more you actually are able to sleep in the periods where you sleep the, the more awake you are in the periods where you are awake because the adenosine is just gone again and then begins to build up once you are awake again but nevertheless adenosine actually is just something you could say natural even though the word natural obviously is used quite 
<laughs> hyperinflationately or inflated. I don't know the exact word for this right now, but it's used inflationary. I think inflationary is the word these days. I mean, of course, everything that exists could be considered natural and also the sun is natural and also other things. Nevertheless, if you consider the word natural or the meaning of the word natural to mean that it hasn't been tinkered very much with by humans, then without being or existing without or living without caffeine is a state that is more natural than with caffeine. So therefore, adenosine and also the whole circadian rhythm, this is a natural a natural process that is there that has evolved over thousands and millions of years and actually is has therefore a function if we are sleepy then that's because the body needs actually sleep i mean it's pretty obvious and of course we can try to override these um, things our body tries to tell us and it sometimes makes sense to override these things because something very unnatural so tinker by humans like junk food of course influences our body in ways that that evolution did not have time to evolve for but nevertheless it seems to be at least for me that not being dependent on something like caffeine for my focus and performance and also for my sleep and not something that actually tinkers every single day with my sleep seems to be a better state of living therefore for me at least until now <laughs> of course it's until the day where you drink one cup of coffee again and then there are all these po positive benefits it's similar to another effect i experience quite often it's the effect of coming off of ketosis and then using carbs again because i try to to follow a diet of uh, a ketogenic diet whenever the carb efficiency actually or the glycogen efficiency actually goes not really through the roof but it improves over time and this means whenever you then load your body with normal carbs again that are not made out of fat then you experience this boost in in physical performance that is just there and that just tries to convince you to eat more carbs again but there are different effects over long term that actually at least make it for me more optimal to try to stick to a ketogenic diet so what tools are there now what is the toolbox you already have to maybe combat the effects and maybe try to reach hyper-focused or very focused st states of of mind or states of alertness without caffeine? The first is the thing I already mentioned. The ketogenic diet seems to improve network stability and also uh, seems to... So basically, the brain or focus, if you think of focus, what you actually want is to be very alert but also very calm at the same time, which is kind of a contradiction if you think about the spectrum of being very relaxed and also very focused. But there are, this of course is only a two-dimensional thing. It's actually only one-dimensional. But here's the thing. And I just forgot what I wanted to say. Uh, yeah, calm and focused. So focused is basically being alert, and calm at the same time. And this means, um, quoting the words of Thomas de Lauer, that the brain actually works best if there is a, imagine a room full of people, and this is something he explained in a recent video, and I uh, just not really take it word for word. Nevertheless, imagine a room of people, and all these people are whispering slowly to each other. They are basically transferring information to each other, but by whispering. This is the one state. This is basically 
focus. This is calm, nevertheless alert. Everybody in there is alert. Everybody understands each, each other. Nevertheless, everybody only needs to whisper. And the other state is a noisy restaurant where everybody's just, where one man begins to shout like, oh, no, no, no. and the other one begins to shout. And then the kitchen chef begins to shout at the next dish and, and everybody's shouting and nobody understands anything anymore. And the overall atmosphere is just, uh, it's just not very relaxed, not very calm. And this is basically the state you put yourself in if you come off of ketosis, ketosis. But this is also the state you kind of want to avoid. And now, also linking all of these things I just mentioned with ketosis, network stability now means, or improved network stability means, that all the different neurons in your brain actually don't have to shout. This means the brain is very calm and working very well and this is also kind of a good metaphor for or you could also use different commonly known things like just calm down or just sit down and think about it or just sleep a night over it sleep a night over it actually includes the optimizing function of sleep on the brain and kind of spits out this common knowledge thing just sleep a night about this one thing and then you the world will have a different perspective on the world or the world will look different this is already including basically the optimizing the function of sleep and now what you also can do is to use to to access more of these calm and focused states one thing you can do is actually to try out a ketogenic diet or try out less carbs because carbs and especially sugars so basically very simple carbs so the more simple the carbs are so this is just a generalization nevertheless it applies for th this general generalization works for many scenarios therefore it seems to be an applicable rule what you actually can do is you can try to reduce the amount of carbs and also processed food in your diet and therefore increasing them the phases of your life in which you are more dependent on ketosis so basically burning fat as a main fuel and the byproduct of burning fat as a main fuel is also apart from the fact that also there are different effects and one of these effects is that there is a byproduct and this byproduct is called ketones ketones and this is also why it, the ketogenic diet is called the ketogenic diet this is also why fat burning or the state of fat burning or the body without nutrients is called ketosis because these ketones are just there and that's the reason for the name but your brain actually has the ability due to evolution probably it was a huge evolutionary benefit to use something that is a byproduct and to use it as energy source again and now your brain has the ability to use ketones as a fuel up to 75 percent of the brain's energy consumption actually can be met by using ketones and only 25 percent are left which have to be provided with glucose which can also be made by burning fat or by splitting fat into different molecules like glucose so this is one way you could go you could try out these different diets another thing is breathing and i will only cover three different or three main things right now the first one is diet the next one is breathing breathing is basically imagine this one-dimensional line again on the one side is relaxed and on the other side is alert and now what breathing actually allows you to do is you cannot really actively influence how alert your body actually is and the more alert you are the more adrenaline for example you have in your blood and 
But you can influence these things indirectly by doing exercise, for example, but also by not doing the exercise, not doing the physical part, but just doing the part that is caused or that exercise causes, which is heavy breathing. So if you breathe heavily or if you breathe faster, what actually happens is that you influence your heartbeat and if you influence your heartbeat and actually also the different chambers in your heart, if you breathe more heavily, what actually happens is that you become more alert and if you breathe more calmly, so slower than your current heart rate or your current breathing rate is, so basically your heart rate is codependent on your breathing rate and because you can actively with your conscious mind influence your breathing rate you can also influence your heart rate and if you influence your heart rate and also these other parts of the heart muscle what you actually can do is you can try to influence how calm and alert you feel by trying out different breathing patterns if you breathe faster you will become more alert and if you breathe slower you will become less alert more relaxed so if you want to calm yourself down just try to breathe slower and actually it's not really how fast it's also how fast and slow you are breathing but there is something else which is the relation between these two phases the inhale and the exhale phase so the longer the exhale phase the more calm you are compared to a shorter exhale phase so basically if the phases are one to one let's just say that's the baseline and then if you actually enlarge the exhaling phase so this is just the proportion so you could also just um, slim down the inhale phase would work similarly but if you enlarge the exhale phase you become more calm if you get the exhale phase down and you breathe in more longer or longer compared to the compared to the exhale phase then you will become more alert this is also what andrew huberman often discusses in his podcast so therefore if you want to find out more about this i would recommend his podcast andrew huberman the podcast is called huberman lab this is the second part so we already discovered the first part which is again what was the first part i actually cannot remember it right now <laughs> the first part was the diet the second part now is the breathing and the third part is so we also already covered sleep what was the third part i actually wanted to mention yes it's cold exposure so there seems to be also a correlation between how warm it is and how relaxed you feel basically the temperature the outside temperature and how alert you feel the warmer it is the more you can relax because maybe in evolution the warmer it was the more it was in situations that where you actually could relax for example when it was summer or you didn't need to eat as much for example because your body needs to don't needs as much energy for actually burning it as heat and warming your body up this is just a theory i just made up but nevertheless there seems to be a correlation between these two different things and now introducing cold exposure into your life so exposing your body voluntarily to the cold and you can also make this involuntarily over a long period of time so for example jumping into ice water which is something a method wim hof for example often uses or wim hof is actually famous for if you expose yourself to these very cold temperatures and also very cold temperatures because if you also jump into water then into water then a lot more heat 
your body has to produce a lot more heat at a certain period of time. So basically, the heat performance of your body or the heat production of your body has to go through the roof in order to keep your body temperature at a stable level. So therefore, this is uh, also this. So this process also in the long term builds up brown fat cells, which are also beneficiary compared to other fat cells which are not brown and which don't produce heat exclusively and or which don't have the ability to produce heat and also dopamine levels for example rise um, a few hours or are on a higher level compared to the baseline dopamine after you went into an ice bath for quite some time and just in general adrenaline is also pumped up so if you want to feel very alert you can just breathe you can also do like 50 jumps into the air or do like 100 push-ups and therefore get your heart rate up and by getting your breathing rate up and your heart rate up then you feel more alert this way so there are basically different things and tools you can use among them the diet among them uh, the second part which i cannot remember anymore and the third part which is uh, called ice or which is in general called codes expo exposure and now i want to conclude this chapter of i did a year without caffeine and i use this title not only as a clickbait because it's actually what i did i spent a year without caffeine and but i also wanted to introduce to use you already being here to introduce you to the general thinking behind avoiding caffeine and also the different tools you can use to maybe supplement your use of caffeine in the future.